Right, and good morning, Rich Point Church. How are you doing this morning? Good, man. I love the energy. Every week, the energy uh, that's here. We're glad you're here. Our goal as a church is to allow everyone who comes in on a Sunday morning, but not just on Sunday morning, everyone throughout the week, to, to taste and experience the presence of God in their lives. And this worship series has been a, a snapshot of that. We'll get into more of that in just a little bit. But literally, I was thinking as we are singing that that final song about Jesus coming in and making the darkness tremble. And, and I'm sure that with a room of people gathered together like this, there are some people this morning uh, that are battling through that darkness right now. You're battling through some challenges in life, and, and it's been hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so just to have that encouragement, that in the midst of our struggle, that, that Jesus can make that darkness tremble, that Jesus comes and, and brings hope in our situations that seem really hopeless. And so I just want to do something different, and that is if, if that's where you're at right now, I just want to start off this service this morning by praying for you. If you're in the midst of that darkness right now, I want to begin by praying for you. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that right in the midst of our darkness, right in the midst of, of, of the season of life where, where, where it seems the cloudiest, the murkiest, where, where we can't see that light at the end of the tunnel, God, that, that Jesus enters into the darkness and he makes that darkness tremble. God, I thank you that he is our deliverance. I thank you that he is our hope. And God, I'm convinced this morning there are some, some people that are gathered here this morning that are in that darkest season of their life or they're in a really dark season of their life. And so God, I pray in the midst of that darkness that during this service that, that they'd be able to check their baggage at the door to encounter freedom that's found in Jesus. And God, that as they leave this place, that baggage is still going to be there. But they're no longer having to shoulder that burden alone. God, allow us to represent that as a church, to represent the love and the grace that Jesus brings. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And thank you for that. Uh, that was a little bit unexpected, but I just kind of felt that during that, that song that it was time for us to pray for some people that need to have some healing. Uh, listen, I'm going to get into the message in just a second. I just want to share. Chris already talked a little bit about the women's study that's coming on Friday morning starting this week. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a men's study that picks up on Wednesday mornings as well. But to kind of launch into that, we want to do something different. And so you've heard us talking about this idea of this men's night out. We're going out and we're throwing axes together and eating barbecue. And you might wonder, like, what is all of that about? I've talked to a lot of guys uh, this week, and they're like, you know what? I'm all about the barbecue, but I'm not sure about the axe throwing portion of that. Uh, listen, we only have a couple of spots left. We're meeting here at 4.30 uh, that, that Saturday on March 9th. We're meeting here at 4.30. And we're going to head out, we're going to go to Four Rivers Barbecue, which in Central Florida is my favorite barbecue that there is. They do an incredible job. But then after that, there's a place called Axe Throwing Tampa. And they just put together groups that actually specialize in couples coming together and throwing axes together. It's, it's, I, I kind of describe it as what I see as kind of a top golf. What top golf does for driving ranges, they're trying to do for axe throwing. It's just as a fun, friendly environment, but also a chance for us to gather together and vision cast uh, in, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon writes and says it's important as, as, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, that we have to spend time with each other, challenging each other, and, and sharpening each other. So that Saturday night is just kind of us launching in what's going to be this new men's study. There are only a couple of spots left. We need to iron down those spots. So two things. If you signed up and said you're going and you haven't registered, make sure you get that registration in. And if you've been on the fence saying, eh, I'm not so sure about that, I'm not sure what it's going to be like, it's going to be a fun night, I'd encourage you to register as well. All you have to do is go to axe.ridgepointchurch.org. It's going to be a fun night for the men to get together and kind of do that thing. So if you want to sign up, go ahead and do that. Yes, sir. 
No, hopefully not. That's not the goal. <laughs> if we do, we're probably doing it wrong. But they're going to have some coaches there uh, that are going to walk us through exactly what to do. They're going to walk us through the, 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 the different competitions that are going to be there. Uh, but today I get the privilege of, of getting into week three of this series where we're talking about this idea of, of what does it mean to genuinely worship. And I appreciate the, the heart, the atmosphere of the last couple of weeks I especially appreciate last week Justin being willing to join me up on stage. Can we one more time get up for Justin and, and, and speak into our life and talking about what worship is and some things that, are, that we can come to expect here at Ridgepoint Church in the area of, of music worship. Obviously, is much bigger than that. But today, I want to do something a little bit different at the beginning of the message because a lot of times worship is loud and it's, it's animated, but also sometimes we're going to experience that worship is is silence. It's just experiencing the presence of God. And so I'm going to do something because for a lot of people, they discover that when they're out in nature, that sometimes seeing these bigger images of nature, being out at, at a beach or in the mountains, when they, when they view this bigger picture of nature, it allows them to experience the creator behind the creation. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to dim the lights right now. And as we dim the lights, we're just going to play a series of pictures up on the screen with no one talking with no music, but just giving you a chance to look at these pictures. And as you look at these pictures, I just want you to think about what emotion do these pictures evoke? Now, I wonder what kind of emotion, and obviously those were each time to space out about eight seconds, so we didn't have a lot of time to really contemplate what emotion am I experiencing, but does anybody have like one or two words that when you see these amazing images, what did you see? What did you experience? Calmness? Okay. What else? Okay. Awe. For, for me, awe and, and just this reverence of being able to see that. If we've ever been <clears throat> in a situation like that, when we're sitting at a cabin and we're overlooking this, this mountain, this, this, this grandeur of this mountain, a lot of times I remember, has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? That's on my bucket list. I've never had a chance to go. But a couple of years ago, there was a song that came out just about how sometimes we're so busy. I think especially when we're younger, we have a tendency to do this. But we're so busy that we're, we're not even aware of the, of the beauty that surrounds us. And the, the song, this is going to date me a little bit, <clears throat> but the song said it's kind of like playing Game Boy standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon. 
that sometimes we're so busy that, that if we're sitting here, we're seeing this, this incredible picture in front of us, but, but our minds are always so racing that we have to occupy our minds doing something else. And sometimes because of that, we miss the beauty that's in front of us. You see, we look at that and think, man, if that was me, if I was sitting in front of the Grand Canyon, I wouldn't do that. And, and yet our life around us is very beautiful. Like actually the area that we live Drive around some of these lakes. I love driving around Lake Howard in the fall. And as the sun's starting to set, it seems like, man, the sky is just ablaze with just the glory of, of God's handiwork. And I love driving around the lake and, and just seeing that. Years ago, I grew up in Pinellas County, so I didn't grow up necessarily with lakes all around, but I did grow up right in the Gulf. And I remember I was driving across the Howard Franklin Bridge from Tampa into St. Pete. And I just had a, a good friend of mine, a mentor of mine, that had come on staff as the pastor of our church. And we're driving across the Howard Franklin Bridge, something I had done my whole life. And I'm driving across the bridge, not even paying attention to the view around me. And Donnie turns, and he looks, and he'd moved here from Alabama, where they don't have anything like that. And he looked, and he says, I am still amazed that I live here now. And I kind of like chuckled a little bit. He's like, you don't even notice it anymore, do you? And the problem is, is that we get so busy in life that, that we lose that sense of awe in reverence, that I can look at a beautiful image and say, man, if I was there and I saw that beautiful picture of creation, I would have that. I wouldn't play the Game Boy if I was standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon, and yet we stand in the midst of a beautiful life, but we're so busy. For a lot of us, we're so busy with just stuff that is mundane tasks. We're so busy staring down at our telephone screen or, or doing the things that we do that sometimes we miss Having that awe and reverence, which, by the way, is part of our worship. When we come in on Sunday morning and we sing songs, sometimes because our minds are so busy doing things, we're not even thinking through. We're maybe thinking about how do I match the, the musical tones that I have to, to do to make this song happen, that I'm not thinking about the depth of the words that I'm singing or the grandeur of the one that I'm singing to. See, worship is, at its core, an awareness of the vastness of God. I want us to get that. Worship is, at its core, an awareness of the vastness of God. We've been working through this definition of what it means, what worship is about. And we said this the last couple of weeks. We've talked about that worship is our response to God whether publicly or privately, for who he is and for what he's done. And we said the first week that worship is primarily a response. It isn't meant to be a passive thing. We're not meant to gather together on Sunday mornings and to come and to observe what the, what the band is doing. We're meant to be participating in the worship experience. It isn't something we sit back and say, man, the band, they did a great job this morning. Great job. Y'all did a great job worshiping. It, it's meant to be a response. And worship goes beyond the words of any song. But it's an active experience. Worship is a response. Last week, we had a chance to break down whether that's in a, a private setting. What we do Monday to Saturday is more important than what we do on Sunday. But worship, whether it happens privately in our homes or in our cars or in our lives... Or whether it happens that one time a week we gather together as a church, that worship is a response, whether publicly or privately, for who he is, 
and for what he's done. Now, for you and I, we have a tendency to right away want to jump to that last part of the definition. We'll talk about that next week. Worship is a response to God because of what he's done. In fact, if I were to go around right now and I were to say, what are you praising God about? If we had a chance right now during the service to go around and ask everybody, what is it you're praising God about? It would be a bunch of good things that happened in our life. We'd say, well, hey, I got that promotion I was praying about. Or, hey, that nasty virus that's been going around my family, it's finally been extricated. Like we pray, everybody identifies with that one right now. There's so much sickness. Or, or we praise God for the good things that are happening in our life. I, I got that raise. I got that promotion. My kid passed the test. They made the team. We always praise God for the good things in our life, and, and we understand that. You see, last Sunday, when we came in here, we actually came home <clears throat> last weekend on Friday night. We'd gone out, my brother-in-law was, was in town, the family went out to meet him over in Orlando for dinner, and we came home, we found out when we came home, RAC was out, it wasn't working at all. And, and I know a little bit to dabble around and figure out how to fix some small things, so I did the stuff that I knew how to do and it wasn't working. I called up my buddy that works on ACs and he says, I know what it is, you're not going to be able to get that part till Monday. So we knew all weekend long, there's going to be no AC in the house. And we don't sit here in Florida and say, praise God, I don't have AC in my house. That's not our response. So Sunday, we came to church. After church, we decided to go out as a family to go have lunch. The one prerequisite was we have to go to a place that has AC for sure. And so we went out to lunch. We leave the place we have lunch at. My, my wife's car gets a flat tire. And I found out I actually replaced two of the tires. We don't praise God and say, praise God, I got a flat tire. We might praise God for safety, but we, don't, we have a tendency not to praise God for the trials in our life. But see, worship is our response to God, not just for what he does. That's, that's secondary. And at first and at its core, if worship is an awareness of the vastness of God, then our first response to God is simply for being who he is. I want to read a psalm real quickly this morning. Psalm 113, it says this. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts an eighty from the ash heap to make them sit with princesses, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. The, the psalm begins by praising God for who he is. Look at all these things it says about him, that his, he's there from this time forth forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the setting, the Lord is high above the nations. Who is like him? He's, he looks far down from the heavens on the earth. It has this description, this vivid description of this is who God is. You see, next week we're going to talk about this idea that we praise God for the good things that happen. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. When we celebrate, by the way, we should be celebrating together. If someone we care about has a, a particularly noteworthy event in their life, it should be cause for all of us to rejoice and to praise God for what he did in their life. But worship is at its core, before we get to that praise that comes because of the good things, worship is at its core an awareness 
of the vastness of God. That God, when I, when I come in to worship together with, with my friends, with my family, with people I might not even be familiar with, God, that because I've been doing this all week long, I've been aware of just how big you are. That when I gather together, there's a, a response that takes place corporately because we see the good works that you're doing because all week long, I've been aware of just how big you are. You see, part of the reason why when we sit and look at mountains or we sit and look at the ocean, part of the reason why we have this response that we respond to is because in those moments, we're reminded just how small we are. When I look, if I can sit out of the beach out in, in Clearwater, out in Daytona, and I can look and, and see the ocean and see the waves washing on the shore, I look out and I say, man, look at how amazing this is. And when I look at all of that, it's a reminder that I'm really a small part of this amazing story called life. When I can sit out at, at night and be in an area where there's not a lot of lights, and I can have a clear sky, and I can look at the heavens, I can look up and see and say, man, I, I feel really small right now because I'm aware of just how vast this universe is. But the reality in our life, we make our lives busy with crowding out those bigger portions of our life that we should be focusing on. We get really busy with the mundane tasks that we have to take care of. And, and because of that, we miss out on, on realizing the splendor and the glory of who God is, the vastness of his glory. And so because that becomes very easy, when things go really, really well, it becomes easy for me in those moments to say, well, I can praise God for, for that thing that took place because I really enjoyed that. Because when I do that, I do a couple of things. You see, even a person today who is who says, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. I don't, I don't know if I believe in any of this. I'm not even sure there's a God. Maybe they come from a position of being agnostic when it comes to issues of faith. When, when they go through seasons of really, really personal trauma that they go through, they might even cry out, say, God, I don't even know if you're there, but if you're there, can you help me out through this? And if a miracle happens, then there's a physical response of saying, I still might not have this thing figured out, but God, I praise you for what you did in that situation. If all we're looking for is the end result to praise God because of what he's done, then in effect, what we're asking God to be is, God, I want you to be some sort of cosmic Santa Claus. I want to be able to come to you when I have the times of, of my deepest needs. And when I can't handle situations myself, then I'm going to count on you and you take care of it. And if you take care of it in the way that I want you to, then I'm going to praise you for that. If not, then maybe I won't. But when we do that, we do two things. We make God nothing more than his cosmic Santa Claus. And we also make ourselves out to be the heroes of the story. And the problem with that is that you and I, we don't make really good heroes. Instead, we look at creation. And we look at, even more importantly, the creator beyond the creation. We say, man, he's the hero of the story first simply because of who he is. If I can celebrate God for who he is, then when his grace shows up and he's done this incredible work, then my response to what he does becomes even more heartfelt. Week one of this series, we looked at Job. And Job's response to tragedy, 
He had lost his servants. He'd lost his property. He'd lost his children. And his response was this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he says, I don't like my situation. My situation isn't good, but God still is. For some of us right now, you're going through a situation, and it might even be affecting your relationship with God because, because we bought into this lie at some point in our life, either we heard this or we thought we heard this, that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And then we go through life, we start to hit those rough spots, and everything's not okay. And we get mad, we fold our arms, we say, God, where were you? And God says, the whole time I was there, in the midst of your darkness, I was still there. I was being God. And worship is our response to God, first, for who he is. See, he doesn't promise, we said this at the outset of this year, that one of our goals is a church. Because we know on, on a weekly basis, most of us come in with some sort of burden coming into church on a Sunday morning. And our goal, legitimately, this is our goal on every Sunday morning, this has been my prayer throughout this year, is that when people come in with those burdens... That for an hour and 10 minutes on Sunday morning, they can check those burdens at the door and come in and freely experience who Jesus is. Get rid of those burdens, drop those burdens at the door. But it doesn't mean that when you leave here after having experienced the freedom that Jesus brings, it doesn't mean when you leave here that all of those problems are gone. It would be great if it worked that way. It doesn't normally work that way. But... If we come in and we taste the freedom that Jesus brings, when we leave here, we're going to go pick those burdens back up on the way out. But we realize now that as a church, we're not shouldering those burdens alone. That we now have God who's there as, as God, the creator and sustainer of all of this. But we also have other people that care about us and love us and are there to lift us up. See, Job's response was, I'm going to praise God first for who he is, even if in those moments I don't like my situation. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 1. I want to look at a couple of verses this morning and go a little bit deeper into this subject. I love this in Romans chapter 1 because there's this passage that a lot of times the people talk on this topic. They talk about what is known as general revelation. And general revelation is this idea that I can walk out, if, if I come at this with a totally objective mind, if my mind hasn't been biased by things I've been taught or, or experiences I've had in my life, that I can walk out into creation and that creation itself points itself towards a creator. And that's what's known as general revelation, that I can walk out and just seeing creation, it points itself to the idea that there must have been something out there that created all of this. In Romans 1, Paul, who's an incredible thinker, is writing to, to, to people that are in, living in an area where there's a lot of debate about this topic. And he says this in verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds 
and animals and creeping things. As we look at this passage about this, this idea that I can look out and in creation I can just get a picture of, of who God is. There's a couple of things that we can pull from that. Number one is this. The immensity of creation points his finger towards the vastness of the creator. The immensity of creation points its finger towards the vastness of its creator. See, I walk out, and I start to see images like I just saw. I walk out, and and there's just something that stirs deep inside of me. Of saying, man, I love seeing the beauty that's, that's here. Like, when I see this beauty, it's a reminder of how small I am in comparison to all of this but how much even smaller I am in comparison to the creator behind all of this. A couple of years ago, in fact, two years ago this month, I had a chance to take my daughter to Colorado. She wanted to learn how to snowboard. I would not recommend at 40 years old trying to learn how to snowboard in one day, especially if you're a bigger guy. It doesn't work well. I spent most of the morning trying to figure out how to stand up on my snowboard. By the middle, middle of the morning, I figured that out. Then I had to figure out, once I fall over the other side, how do I get back up? That's only a slight exaggeration. It's only after a day of doing this they came and said it takes the average person about three days to learn how to snowboard. So by about lunchtime, I was ready to call it quits. And my daughter was really getting it. She was one of the more gifted ones in the class. And she was kind of going down the mountain doing some different things. And, and, and so she said, Dad, come on, let's go back out. And I'm like, well, I've, I've had my share. Like, so I went out, I think, once or twice more. And I said, you know what? I'm absolutely content to watch you do your thing and to sit in the lodge and just look at creation, to look at these mountains that we don't have in Florida, and just to sit there. And I could have sat there. I kid you not. I could have sat there all day in the warmness of that lodge and just looked at what was in front of me and said, man, I don't need my phone. I could just sit here and look at this. And if in the moment, if I could slow my life down, because we're all too busy and I'm too busy, if I could slow my life down and just look at this, the immensity of the creation in front of me was pointing its fingers at the vastness of its creator. But Romans doesn't stop there. It actually says in the second verse that we read, His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. The complexity of that creation points itself towards physical characteristics of God. We look at creation, it isn't just me sitting in awe and reverence saying, man, this is beautiful, this points its finger at some sort of creator out there. Now, general revelation doesn't point itself towards what it takes for salvation. I can't go out and look at the skies and think, man, Jesus died on my cross for my sins. It doesn't work that way. But it says there's certain characteristics about who God is. That if we look at creation, it's a reminder of those characteristics, it says all these things have been perceived before, but his invisible attributes, namely two things, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived. I can look at creation and not just be aware that there is a God, but that through creation it can start to point itself towards some specific characteristics of the God that's behind creation. I can look and say, God, I know that you're vast, but also have learned something about your divine nature. 
I've learned about who you are. I can't learn enough towards salvation to be able to be saved, but I can start to understand, God, who you are simply by slowing down and experiencing the vastness of creation, pointing itself towards an even more vast creator. But then there's the warning at the end that despite this, despite knowing these things, our foolishness leads us to worshiping creation rather than the creator. The last part says, even though these invisible attributes are clearly seen, we still do this foolish thing, and we have a tendency to trade that in, trade in what we see about the characteristics of God to an idol that is man-made. Idolatry, this idea that I'm going to replace God with something else, is the most fundamental sin that there is. We replace God with something else other than what, who he is. We replace him with something that has been created, and we have a tendency to worship that thing. In the Roman world, they had uh, these gods that resided in a temple, and they would worship those gods, but that wasn't enough. They'd actually create gods to put in their house, and, and they'd worship these things that were made with hands. And we look at that and say, but that isn't our world today. There's not a lot of us that put idols, physical idols, up in our house when, when what they had was made of, mental, uh, of metal, our gods today are made mentally. We worship things, maybe not created with human hands, but we worship things nonetheless. Maybe for us, it's a relationship. Maybe for us, it's money. If I could just have this, then I feel like I've, I've defined myself. I've gotten where I want to be. If I just, if I just arrived and, and, and could accomplish this, if I had that promotion, we make gods out of these things and our lives rise and fall on things that seem important today. But five years from now, we're not going to care about it all. But for today, for this moment, they've become our God. And when I do that, I make myself out to be the hero of the story. I say, man, I, I know this is what I want to accomplish. This is what I want to arrive at. And, and so let me chase after that with everything that I have because I make myself out. And we all fall into this trap. I make myself out to be the hero of the story, and then I pursue that. And what I pursue today is probably going to change tomorrow. But for right now, that's the focus of my life. We replace the immensity, the enormity of God with our trivial stuff. And the more busy my life becomes, the more I think I can crowd things into it. And the more I crowd into it, the more God himself gets crowded out. Now I want to compare that image with one more image from Scripture. There's a prophet, his name is Isaiah. And Isaiah is, is young at this point in his life. He's receiving the call to become a prophet. And, and as he's receiving this call, he's unsure about all of this. And he gets this image of, of God, of the grandeur and the glory of God. So Isaiah chapter 6, we're just going to read verses 1 through 5, and it says this. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Watch this mental image that he builds, this image that Isaiah sees about who God is. It says that he's high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, these angels. And each of these angels had six wings. With two, the angels covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, the angels flew. 
And one of the angels called another and said this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And his response was this, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He says, when I actually saw the king, I realized that I'm being undone here. Woe is me. Now, prior to this, if we had time to read the first couple of chapters of Isaiah, he's looking around and saying, woe is everybody else. But when he saw this picture of who God is, and he saw the train of his robe filling the temple, his response is, now that I've seen the glory of God, not woe is everybody else, but woe is me. I don't deserve this at all. So when we gather together to worship, I'm glad that worship on Sunday morning when we gather together corporately is primarily a celebration. In a couple of weeks, we've talked about this. In a couple of weeks, we're doing this worship experience. So we're taking a Sunday morning. We're not having a typical message. But when we come in on Sunday morning, it's just going to be a worship experience on Sunday morning. And we're going to look at different aspects of, of worship. We're going to celebrate through things like having Lord's Supper together. And, and, and if you've never been baptized, we're going to have, if you want to be baptized, we're open up for baptism next uh, two weeks from now on Sunday morning. And baptism is simply an outward response to the inward change that happens because we choose to follow Jesus. And so if you've never baptized and want to get baptized, fill it out on your connection card. We want that to be part of that service. But worship is as much contemplation as it is celebration. Worship is sometimes revered silence. And so that Sunday morning, we're going to have a time of silence. We're going to have a time of celebration. We're going to experience God, try to experience God through all of that to have this different experience of saying, God, we want to encounter you. In order for us to do that, here's what we have to do. For you and I to accomplish that, we have to simply be able to slow life down just a little bit. See, for most of us right now, we're not real comfortable with silence. In fact, if our life was really silent for an hour, it would drive us crazy. <laughs> for most of us, it would be absolutely like, like it would just drive us crazy. I heard about a church recently that they came in. They hadn't announced it beforehand. But they came in on a Sunday morning, and all they did was just have an hour where there was no music. There was no message. They had silence. They just put verses up on the screen, and they offered chances for people to pray. But they just said, man, sometimes our life is so full of stuff that we crowd God out of what's really important. So we have some moments of silence, some moments of just prayer and some different things. But just to do something different on a Sunday morning. Because we believe that at our core that we want to be able to taste and to experience the presence of God. Now, the good thing is that for you and I, we have a chance to do that on a regular basis. We can do that through celebrating God on a Sunday morning. But we can also do that through just walking out into nature and seeing these incredible images of nature. 
We can do that by going out and seeing something like mountains or a seashore. And those moments that I see that, go ahead and bring the lights down. And the moments that I do that, the moments that I go out into creation and I see creation, and I see images like this one here, it's a reminder in the midst of that that I'm really, really small. And that God's creation is really, really huge. And if I could put aside all of the cares and concerns of my life for just a moment. If I could crowd out, crowd out all the noise and, and the stuff of my life. Put, a, put away my cellular devices, my electronics. And I can simply become aware of the vastness of the creation. Then behind it, I'm even more aware that, God, as I look at this incredible creation, it's vast and I see how small I am in comparison to these mountains. I see how small I am in comparison to the seashore. God, I see how small I am. And God, I got to be honest, this creation in front of me, these mountains in front of me, they look huge. But they're even small in comparison to the rest of this world and even smaller to the rest of this universe. And God, I look out at creation and I'm reminded about just how small I am and how huge creation is. God, in those moments, I become even more aware that even creation pales in comparison to your glory and to your splendor. And when we get that picture, when we get that image of the glory of God, we're reminded of Isaiah's words that say, Woe am, woe am I, woe is me, for I am undone. I don't deserve to be here. But the crazy thing is, we worship God simply for who he is, not for what he does. But the crazy thing is that this God of splendor, this God of grandeur, enters into life. He is both above all of this and in all of this. That the God that created all of this cares about us in such minute detail that the hairs of our head are numbered. God, you're both immense and immensely involved in our lives, and we celebrate you for that. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, to think about as we look out at creation and we see these incredible images, and God, what we saw today was just up on a screen. If we actually had a chance to be in front of creation right now and, and to worship the creator beyond the creation, we'd be reminded of just how small our lives look and how vast you are. God, all of creation points its finger at your vastness. It points its finger at your character. God, I pray this morning that we're simply aware of that. That our worship in the next couple of minutes comes from a spot of simply being aware, God, that you're really, really big. And God, that Jesus is the hero of our story. God, for the person who doesn't know him, I pray today is a day that they come to taste the goodness of his grace. They realize that he died for their place. And for each one of us to be simply aware 
of, the, of his vastness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.